We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Hi, I'm Yue Shu. And I'm Julie Kraftchik. We are active daters turned dating sociologists. Here to dive into everything modern dating and relationships. Welcome to the Dateable Podcast. What's up, friends? Welcome back. We are back from South by Southwest. (laughs) And I think we're still on a high, but not high in the sense of one of our friends thought we were literally high at the event. UA's like, why is she messaging me about that? I'm like, I think I actually said that, but not in that context. We were just on a high of being so inspired creatively. That was our creative high. We were not... (laughs) Smoking, eating, (laughs) snorting, shooting, none of that, because it was such a natural high. This is, I don't know about you, Julie, this is by far my favorite event that I've ever gone to. It's a combination of a conference, music festival, film festival, comedy festival, and just some of the best networking a creative can do. So I've gone two years, UA has gone longer, and we went in 2019, we were supposed to go in 2020, but you all know how that goes. (laughs) So 2019, we go and UA and I had the best time ever. So I was a little nervous that it wasn't going to live up this time. Yeah. In my mind, you know, like when your expectations are too much, it's like going into dates when your expectations too high, you're afraid it's going to fall short, but it lived up. It lived up. It was a whole different experience, but just as good as 2019. It surpassed my expectations because it's been three years since yeah. we've been. And I wanted this to be just as good as the last time, but I didn't expect it to be better. And what made it even more special is that we both brought our partners. It was both of their first yep, time. They were virgins. <laughs> <laughs> They also had a blast. We popped their cherry, their South by cherry. They also had a blast. My partner can't stop talking about it because there's something for everyone. Like Julie's partner's really into music. So he got to see a lot of musical acts. My partner's really into film. We got to see some film screenings and premieres. So it's so great because you can bring a group of people there and it can satisfy everyone. 
I feel like we hit some really good parties. That was one piece. Mm-hmm. We had some good dinners. Like we did deviate a oh. little outside of South by activities because <sighs> we were there for a while. We were there for like five days. And I feel like it's great to get the free food at all the parties, but it starts yeah. to wear on you a little. And you're like, I've just I can't eaten do tacos every day. Shit for five days. So it was really nice that we got some good experiences that way. For anyone that knows me, my partner and I are both really big foodies. So that that was really nice to <laughs> UA found a really great place. We did this awesome tasting menu that UA found. Emma and Rye, let's give yes, them a let's shout give out. Them the shout out. It was very affordable for a tasting menu. Very affordable. It was a really creative menu. Yeah, we really did everything. We I feel did. like we really we maximized did. our time. But I have to say, the highlight of the trip was meeting Tim Ferriss. Yes, I was going to say. So the <laughs> sessions, <laughs> we did go to a lot of great podcasting sessions. We also have. Some some other projects in the works that we were able to go to related content around those that are taking the dateable brand into other types of media. We will stop there for now until we could reveal more, but we were able to hit that stuff too. But the best part with the Tim Ferriss one is, you know, Tim Ferriss is, he's a podcasting icon, I would say. When for I sure. think of like someone that has is podcasting, I think of him and Dax Shepard. We did get to see both of them. But Tim Ferriss, we went to his talk, which was amazing. And then we went to another event that was like a networking lunch type of thing. And we went inside and UA was like, is that Tim Ferriss? I think it is sitting by himself. I don't even think he was there for the event. He was just at happened to be at that restaurant (laughs) in a corner by himself eating lunch. And I'm sure he didn't want to be bothered. But I couldn't help myself. We had just seen him (laughs) at his panel. We were on such a high, a natural high from that, that there's no way we couldn't have approached him. I'm glad we did. And we took a selfie with him. And he was super nice. You know, we told him about some upcoming projects. We told told him about Dateable and he was very supportive. You never know with some of these people how they're actually going to be in real life. It was nice of him to take the second to talk to us. He didn't have to do it. He could have brushed it off. His only request was don't post this photo immediately because I don't want a bunch of people coming here. What I really took away from his session was his you know, the question was, how have you succeeded in podcasting? And his answer was endurance. Yeah. And I truly feel like Julie and I have been able to grow with Dateable solely for the fact that we've been around for seven years. We can keep doing this and we want to keep doing this. We've cited this before. Most podcasters, 90% of podcasters drop out after the first year. So imagine that we we do say everyone does have a podcast, Mm -hmm. but very few last for more than than a year. Yeah, and and speaking of interviewing, I learned something very interesting about UA on this trip. <laughs> you thought yes. I was going to forget it. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm bringing this oh, up on yes. the intro. Mm, I cannot forget mm. this. So I've known UA for <laughs> close to nine years at this point. Yeah. We're getting on nine years, almost a decade. We have to have a decade party, by the way. So <laughs> Julie and UA's anniversary, dead dare anniversary party. It's coming. I love that idea. <laughs> so anyways, we are at this registrant lounge, which is basically just where people from the conference go and get some drinks, some food, etc. And UA and I get there and she's like, 
I think I know that guy. He looks really <laughs> familiar. I think it's someone I worked with. And she pulls up his photo to see if I agree that this is the same guy she's thinking. A very old Facebook photo. Yes. Okay. And it was like someone you worked with 10 years ago, right? Or so. Fif- no. Fif- 15 plus. Yeah. I was like, there's no way because yeah. I've known you for almost 10 years. It's yeah. probably like 20 years ago. It's, it's going on a almost. long time here. So she's pulling up his photo. As I'm looking at it, I see him walking over and I'm like, <laughs> I think it's him. Like, he's coming over here. And the irony is he was not sure if it was UA either because he, his confirmation that it was UA was her pulling up the photo to confirm <laughs> it was him. <laughs> no, it's a wild experience because if you haven't seen someone in so long and you, you knew them when they were in their 20s yeah, and now we're in our 40s, like people could look very different. Totally. So I didn't want to mistaken him for someone who I thought would be him. So glad it was him, though. Yeah. And also, it's out of context a little. Yeah. You don't, you're not expected to see them. So he comes over and <laughs> I feel like I need to say this, but I want you to tell the story. But he basically was saying to his friend that he was unsure if it was UA and he drops that he actually knew UA <laughs> under a different name. Delia? Yes. Was that what it was? Delia? Dahlia. Dahlia. I keep, right. I keep mixing up. <laughs> UA's fake name, Dahlia. <laughs> and he was saying how he knew UA as Dahlia until she quit her job and she revealed her name was UA. And I was like, what the fuck? So she told me this story. And then she revealed that her partner of five years knew her as Dahlia for a full year. Guilty. This was so shocking to Julie. And I <laughs> feel like I've told her this story, but maybe not in detail. It's true. You <laughs> told me that you've sent out resumes. So you said that you sent out three resumes because uh-huh. it was in the recession to try to see how you could get a job. What was it? UA, Tiffany, and Dahlia. Yeah. I knew that part. I didn't know you proceeded to tell your coworkers for a year that your name was Dahlia. But I guess it makes sense because I'm thinking of the TV show Younger. It's like once you've committed to the lie, you got to keep going. What I didn't realize is that you didn't tell your partner that you ended up being with for five years. <laughs> for a year. A year. I could maybe see... A month, because you explained it, right? Match.com, like you used a username. I can see a month, but a year, I, I can't I can't wrap my head around it still. Listen, back then, <laughs> I was in my early 20s. I, didn't, I was straight out of college. I felt like I was living this, I was getting a renewal on life, basically. And I thought, why not try this new name and live this life? I wasn't going to stay on the East Coast forever, and I can have this temporary <laughs> name. In a temporary life as Dahlia. And when I met him on Match.com, I was like, ugh. Who knows how long this is going to last? Maybe a few weeks, a few months. I'm going to go with, with Dahlia. And then a year later, I was like, yeah, maybe this is more serious than I thought. <laughs> maybe I should reveal my real name. But you said it. You were like, whatever. He went out with my coworkers. They all called me yeah. Dahlia. So it yeah. wasn't weird. But I'm still confused. When he went out with your friends, they knew your name was UA. I never had him meet my friends who knew me as UA. I had a few college friends in New York at the time. I never mixed the two groups. <laughs> That's also weird. I'm so, so weirded out by early 20s, UA. I, too, am weirded out by my early 20s. And it's a part of my life that I kind of blacked out on until we met up with my friend Cairo and he reminded me that he knew me by a different name. I think he still doesn't know how to say my real name. No. 
the state because he's never called me that. And I've had a lot of old co-workers from New York say that to me. They're like, I don't know what to call you. So just tell me what I should be calling you right now. <laughs> I think he was expecting that I knew this story, though. Like he was not expecting <laughs> for me to just be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Julie was in such a state of shock. She could not stop talking about it after we left that place. And I guess in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, that's a little fucking weird. But to me, it was like, yeah, that's what happened. We went to another party after and my partner met us and I told him the story. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Anyways, I want to give a shout out to some of the other great people we also saw. We were able to connect with three past guests that were at the conference. And, you know, we kind of knew they were there, but we didn't apply plans to meet up. You just get so busy when you're there. Like, I feel like I wanted to meet up with some people that lived in Austin and you get really no sucked into it. And I feel bad. I'm gonna have to explain this on Monday. But it's really <laughs> hard because you just get sucked into this vortex. But I'm really glad we got to see Jeff Harry, who is our episode Yay. on making dating fun again. I saw actually you and I split the last two. I saw Erin Rachel Doppelt. We actually met her at South by Southwest in 2019 at the podcasters meetup. Mm-hmm. We had her back in season nine, I looked up and and she had a great episode. So if you're a newer listener and you might not have been here from season nine, go back and listen. It was called Vagina Tingles. I remember <laughs> when we got on the call, we didn't really know what direction it was going. And it went down a great path. She's so incredible. You know, she's a therapist, but also lived in Asia for a long time. So it's like East meets West. And she's very insightful healer type. You know, she has a lot of really interesting story and background. So we saw her. And then Yue saw Minji. Minji. Minji, who was on season eight, I believe. I Date Me First. That was a really popular episode we did. And she's wonderful. And she wants to have us back on her podcast. So we'll do another swap very soon. Some of our favorite people and guests in general. Yes. And Yue and I went to an incredible podcasting session. Incredible. We just laughed and we were like, holy shit. We've been doing this for seven years, but we've learned so much in this hour and a half that we didn't even think was possible. And this episode is not sponsored by South by Southwest, but we wish. (laughs) We wish. We wish this episode was because we are going to keep going back. If you have any questions about the event you've never been, you've thought about going, you know, we can talk on and on about this, but feel free to DM us. We'll give you all the deets. It's it's our favorite thing ever. Yeah. And, you know, I think this segues actually into our episode this week. If you're not on our newsletter yet, this is the call out to get on. But we were so inspired by one of the sessions we saw with Dak. Shepard and Kristen Bell. I would say overall, we weren't necessarily inspired by the session, but there was, <laughs> no. it was about diapers, which was very interesting. Not what we thought we were getting into. Very misleading. But, but of course, their relationship is going to come up because I think, you know, you could safely say they are definitely a couple's goal type of couple. And they drop some stuff that was just so real about finding like the right partner for you. And Kristen, you know, this is all in the newsletter. So feel free to go there too and make sure you're subscribed so you can get the upcoming ones. But she dropped this one thing saying like, we're all fucking messes and you just need to find someone that you appreciate and accept their mess and work on your relationship. That was the summarized version. The key to a healthy relationship is continuing to work at it. 
And of course, you need a healthy partner, someone that's equally as invested in commitment to it. So that kind of brings us to our episode today is like, why do we choose the partners we do? And why do we choose maybe the wrong partners? Like, what is it from our childhood, our past relationship history that draws us to certain people? And how do we kind of reset our romantic GPS that we're finding people that are willing to do the work with us because relationships are freaking work? This is perfect if you've been in the dating game for a while and you think, why do I keep attracting people like this? Or why do I keep getting into these dead end relationships? Mm -hmm. We don't have those answers for you, but (laughs) at least this episode will help you change your mindset around what is it that you're looking for and how you can unlearn from the past. Because our behavior patterns are a product of what we believe, right? Mm -hmm. We're meeting these people because we believe they're good for us. There is a way to turn the switch on it and to start attracting people who are actually good for you. Yeah, I remember having this conversation with a mutual friend of ours that was always just chasing guys. She was Mm -hmm. always going after people that really weren't interested in her, quite frankly. Like they, you know, maybe hooked up with her, but they didn't want anything more. They weren't giving her the time of day and attention, yet she would continuously go after them still. It was almost like something she had to win their attention. And she could actually relate it back to the fact that she was the youngest of three brothers And she Mm -hmm. always had a vibe for their attention growing up. That was how she knew how to interact with people of the opposite Mm. sex. So if we really dig into our past, like we can really start to uncover. Of course, Mark is going to go into it in way more depth. Mark Scholes, that's our guest for today. He's a psychotherapist. This is his jam. So we're going to let him take it away. But this is a really insightful episode. Okay. Well, before we get into it, announcements, exit interview, episode three has gone out. This is a good one. This might be a member of our community in our Facebook group <laughs> might that is be. our guest. <laughs> I'm not sure like how much people want to get revealed, but it's a really freaking good episode. My partner actually listened on the plane back from South by Southwest. He's listened to all three. What a great boyfriend. What a good boy. This was his favorite one of all of them, he said. Hands down. He loved this one. And I think this Ooh. one was about like, can you be too in control of your relationship? We always talk talk about being intentional, but can you take that too far? The answer is yes, as we learned from this exit interview. So we'll leave it at that. But this one was really good. I think a lot of people are going to resonate with this one. So I love this format. A lot of my friends have been messaging me to say how like they love these episodes because they're kind of like gossipy drama, but they teach you something at the same time. And I'm like, it does feel like a reality TV show a bit. If you're new to our show, just a reminder, exit interview is a different <laughs> podcast yes. that we're doing with iHeartRadio. You can search for it on any platform platform, just type in exit interview. There we go. It's a limited series. We just released episode three. All of these are different than our dateable episodes. So just so you know, they're two different entities, but we would love it if you can give both of these entities a rating and review. Just go on Apple Podcasts while you're there, search for dateable, give us five stars. We would love for you to answer the question, what does being dateable mean to you? Just put that in your review. And then on the exit interview, just search for that show in your rating and review, give us five stars and then answer this question. Would you ever go through an exit interview? 
interview yourself. Just yes. simple. Love it. And if you're super freaking lazy, just give us five stars. We prefer the <laughs> we prefer the review, but we'll still take the five stars. Actually, on Spotify, you technically can't leave a review. So if you're a Spotify listener, just give us the five stars. Yeah. Anything less, please go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Send us an email. <laughs> At Datable Podcast is our Instagram. I took the plunge this week and I created a public Instagram for the first time. She did not get hacked. It's not a fake I account. I was going to say Don't that. Don't worry. I've had multiple friends be like, is this a fake account? I'm like, no, I'm not that popular that someone would make like an impersonation account. Let's be honest. <laughs> so, you never know. <laughs> at Julie Craftick is my new handle. I will be phasing out the other ones. So if you are on there, please come over here. And if you're not, because I haven't been public, I'd love for you to follow me. And of course, you can keep following UA or if you haven't followed her yet, at Nonplatonic. Okay, before we get into it, Let's hear a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. This episode is made possible by Armoire. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out. Listen, I live in Southern California. There is absolutely no need for puffer coats or any sort of those winter jackets. But when I travel anywhere else in the world in these cold months, I'm often burdened with the task of getting winter clothes. And now with Armoire, I can just rent my winter wardrobe. It's brilliant. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash datable. That is armoire.style, spelled A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Okay, let's hear it from Mark Scholes. I have a hard time picking what to eat for breakfast. How am I qualified to pick my partner? I question myself all the time. Like, how do I know that my picker is even good? And I'm sure that's a question on everyone's mind. When it comes to dating, it's like, how are we the ones making these lifelong decisions? We are the ones doing the picking. So that's why we have you with us, Mark, because you're going to shed some light on this topic. Mark is a New York City psychotherapist with 35 plus years of experience. He's also a board member, faculty and supervisor at the National Institute for the Psychotherapies, a leading training institute for psychotherapists, and a former associate editor of Psychoanalytic Perspectives, a journal of integration and innovation. He's also the author of the popular book, Reset Your Romantic GPS why you steer toward the wrong partners and how to change for the better. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And who is Mark? He's in his 60s, lives in New York, originally from Westport, Connecticut, and he is married. Well, let's start with that. You know, we talked about the picker. People say that all the time. My picker is off. I pick the wrong people. (laughs) Is that an actual thing? Yeah, it is an actual thing. I mean, we, the truth is we learn about our relationships very early in life. It's a kind of language we acquire, how to be attached to others, particularly our caretakers. And that kind of language, depending on the security of those attachment figures or the insecurity of those, kind of laid down a kind of GPS in our psyches. It's the language we learn around connection. The more we're aware of that language, the more choice we have to move our decisions from a reflex to a choice. So why do we pick the wrong people then? Like, why is it that our picker is off if that is how people feel? (laughs) We're not really picking the wrong people. We're picking what we know. And really, often we kind of pick the similar kinds of people who originally, for lack of a better word, failed us in attunement. And we often pick somebody in the hopes of trying to master or fix that kind of early trauma or that early disconnection. I know that sounds like an oversimplification, but there's a lot of truth that goes into that. You say oversimplification. I actually think that was a very complicated statement. Can you break that down for us? How is this related to trauma? Yeah. So let me just very briefly say what a secure attachment is early in our lives. As an infant and early young child, our parents have a certain amount of attunement, our caretakers, to our needs, from eye contact to soothing physiological needs to responses with curiosity and discomfort. And when those needs are met on a kind of good enough consistent level, we internalize a sense that not only are our needs okay, but that the world is responsive to them. And what gets internalized is this buoyant life jacket. There's an anticipation over time that I'm good enough. People seem to want to respond to me and anxiety is ultimately going to be soothed. That's a really wonderful thing to internalize. So you can go through life. Life has tons of obstacles and challenges, but you go through it with a sense of anticipation that I'm going to be okay ultimately. Now, on the reverse side, with an insecure attachment, you have an environment where your needs are very inconsistent met. 
or they're neglected and one is left to sort of comfort themselves. And a very strange thing happens here, a very important thing happens, that instead of the caretakers being attuned and empathic to the infant and child, the child has to become preoccupied and attuned to the parents. So they internalize something like this. Obviously, my needs are not so okay because they're not being responded to. So there must be something wrong with those needs. And I better figure out in the other what they need in order to feel available or more available. So that insecure attachment now, the security of the person of the infant lies outside of them. They don't internalize a sense of safety. They internalize a sense of preoccupation with the other because their security exists outside of them. And that's a very different configuration to go through life with because we all crave and need security. Mm -hmm. That's one of our main motivations. And if it lies outside of us, instead of being in our own bodies and figuring out what we're feeling, we have to kind of be more preoccupied with the other and figure out what they're feeling. That becomes the language. So we're not going to be drawn to people with an insecure attachment. You're not going to be drawn to people who are attuned to your needs because that would be unfamiliar. Uh. That would almost be like feeling homeless. You're going to really be drawn to somebody who's less attuned, who you can try to figure out because that's the language you learned how to be connected. Mm -hmm. And we are most familiar with our first language. Then we have to learn a new language. And that's what sort of psychotherapy in the book that I wrote is really about. So does it all come down to attachment theory? Because we've talked about attachment theory a lot. And I definitely like have mixed feelings on it, to be perfectly honest. I feel like in some ways, (laughs) I totally hear you that like early ways that we connected impact how we show up as adults. Absolutely. But I often think that that's kind of like the solution or kind of the explanation for everything where it feels like it's a little generalized sometimes. Like, is that the only thing? that's kind of coming into who we pick or are there other aspects also? I think it becomes an issue when who we're picking has a kind of repetitive quality. It influences all of us, how we feel about ourselves, what our language is. Of course, it's variable, right? Sometimes it's extreme, but it's often somewhere in between. And it really isn't an issue unless we find ourselves kind of picking the same kind of person. I'm a person who moved from a more insecure attachment to a more secure attachment. I spent in my 20s and 30s kind of being drawn to a similar kind of person, perfectly not good person, but people who sort of were more on the depressive kind of a little bit more emotionally needy spectrum, which is perfectly fine if I didn't have an issue with that. But I would often feel suffocated and I would feel resentful full of having to be more of a caretaker, much like my early childhood, what I learned from my mother. And it was a problem only because of that I was drawn to the same kind of person each time. And as I became aware of that and worked hard on that, I began to find people who had more of a variety than that. Look, relationships are hard, but they're harder when you're really picking somebody who's really from your past. But that takes a lot of work (laughs) to know that. It does. It takes a lot to know it. But there's a lot of information out there. And, you know, becoming aware of what our first language is is not that difficult. The difficulty is doing the opposite or moving in the other direction of what feels familiar. I like to call it the discomfort of a healthy choice. 
So for instance, chemistry can often come from a feeling of, oh, I finally, I'm going to, this is it. Mm -hmm. This is the person that I'm going to redo sort of my past with and is going to make me whole. I know exactly how to be with this person. Lack of chemistry can be with somebody who shows up, who responds consistently whose character is really good, but you don't feel that thing that you think you're supposed to feel. You have to allow yourself to see what a relationship is like or a connection is like without something that feels familiar. And that can be difficult for people. I think that's a conversation we've had a lot on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Is when someone's doing all the right things, so many daters chalk it up to no chemistry. There was no spark. Yeah. We're just not compatible. But they're doing all the right things. Yeah. But we also have to decipher if that's really the case. There's no chemistry or it's just something you're not used to seeing. It makes you uncomfortable. For someone who is just getting into this kind of work, how are they able to separate when someone's not good for them versus when someone is actually good for them? They're just not recognizing it yet. That's a very good question. And for instance, this can either be friends or patients of mine. The person, you can often detect this when a person is dating and they're much more focused on the person who is inconsistently responding to them than the person who's consistently responding to them. You have to sort of step back and notice is this good for me? Although it feels like it's got a kind of spark, how come it has a spark? To be able to self-reflect is one of the most important things to do. And you can do that with people. You can do that with food. You can do that with exercise. You can notice what your relationship is to any craving. And instead of just kind of going into a state where you follow it blindly, you begin to sort of notice, oh, I'm having a craving oh, this person that hasn't gotten back to me is taking up most of my time. Mm. I have friends, I have a job, all these things in my life, but this inconsistent responsiveness is the thing that I'm most paying attention to. That is a clue. What one can practice is trying to walk in the other direction of that and seeing what happens. It's not binary. It's messy and you fail sometimes and you succeed other times. So for the person, because we definitely hear that story a lot, like going after these people that give us breadcrumbs of attention or they're just not showing up in the way that you say you want, but yet you're spending all your time kind of pining over this person that's kind of giving you like a half-assed relationship. What is it from like the past that would draw you to this? Like what are some of the past signs or reasons why you're actually attracted to this? Well, first of all, as I said, it's literally a language of connecting that you learn. That is what a connection feels like. It feels like something you're longing for. It feels like something you're trying to achieve. It doesn't feel like, oh, I'm going to be kind of adhesive and have a draw to the other. The other's not going to naturally just want to be connected with me. I'm going to feel anxious or insecure about that. Another component to that is that you haven't mourned what you never got. Mm. And you're sort of still trying to undo what was done. So mourning is like a real important experience. And you have to be able to sort of notice that there's feelings of loss, existential anxiety in taking the strong step into being the person who says no Mm -hmm. to something that feels familiar like this. You have to be able to live with yourself. And you know, you have to be able to tolerate a certain amount of anxiety. And when you are able to do that, 
a very strange thing happens. You begin to like yourself a little bit more because you know you've done something that's for your own good. And when you're able to do that kind of consistently, you actually tolerate people who aren't good to you less. Mm -hmm. And you actually feel like you sort of deserve people who are there for you because you've been there for yourself. But it's very hard to be there for yourself when, as a young person, your experience was there wasn't somebody for me. Mm. Like, I think it's when we talk about attachment theory and like, you know, upbringing. On one side, it's like, should we just blame our parents for everything? <laughs> like, is that what it comes down to? Like, I feel like there's always this, like, someone failed in this upbringing. But, like, what are some signs, yeah. like, getting that our parents are just human? Yeah. Like, what are some yeah. things that they maybe did not realizing the impact that caused an impact later on? Parents are people, too, who had their own childhoods. Yeah. And they have their own strengths or weaknesses in empathy. They have their own responsiveness to dependency. They have their own levels of anxiety. Some parents tolerate anxiety very well. Others only want their kids to be okay and to make sure they're okay. And so we all have our own wounds from childhoods. And it's not really blaming parents, although there are some parents who obviously were overtly destructive, but it's kind of tolerating disappointment, understanding disappointment. But then instead of being entrapped by that disappointment, it's learning about yourself and reparenting yourself. Our childhoods do imprint us with mm -hmm. our language, but we have other people in our lives besides our parents. We have teachers, we have friends that could have provided different kinds of experiences. Those all make a big difference. I want to piggyback on Julie's comment as well, because I feel like by dating the people who weren't right for me, I was able to learn how to communicate my needs. By dating the person who didn't text me back when I wanted it, I learned to communicate that as I would like for you to yeah. text me back in a normal amount of time. If I were to date people who were actually good for me, yeah. I'm not sure if I would have learned these skills. Yeah. So would you say that maybe in dating, we have to go through some of this first? Have your picker be off first in order to learn the necessary skills for relationships? Absolutely. Nobody teaches us, really. There's no education in dating. No. The point you're making is, is really so important to learn what your needs are, to learn how to express them, and to learn who responds to them and who doesn't. Yeah, it seems like there's just so many variables to me. Like I'm thinking of like friends of mine that have been in very healthy relationships for early years. Like maybe they met their person in college, didn't really go through all this. Yeah. Some of them that are coming to mind are people that like came from divorced households where their parents weren't around that much. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to like rectify, of course, I don't know how their parents interacted with them on a day to day. Yeah. Maybe there was a lot of secure attachment that was happening. It seems like there's no rhyme or reason, but like, what would you say to that? Like, is there actually some universal signs? Yeah. I mean, I definitely know three or four of those. <laughs> <laughs> you can't beat the system. Being in this profession that I'm in, this goes beyond dating. You're going to have issues. The issues are either going to come out at some point in the marriage and you can work through them, certainly, mm. or they're going to come out when you have kids. However, there are people who have less problematic relationships than others, but everybody runs into their walls. I mean, there's 51% divorce rate. I mean, that's 50%. Right. Mm -hmm. That's half. 
But we run into this question as well from our listeners is, at what point do you give up on a relationship and just say, this person's just not yeah. good for me. We're not compatible. Or do I keep putting in the effort yeah. to trying? Well, if two people are making an effort, you usually have something that's going to work. If you really grow and you're really not compatible and you're able to both realize that, that's another story. But if you have two people making an effort, two people willing to look at themselves, love is not loving a person the way that comes naturally to you. Mm. Love is loving the person the way the person needs to be loved. So love is work mm. and, and love is effort. When that honeymoon phase passes and hopefully when you have two people working hard you have something really that you don't want to lose yeah that's what i wanted to ask you is like when is it a bad situation versus yeah you know just a rough patch or people aren't perfect like is it truly just when two people are working at it or is there any other signs if somebody you know is contemptuous of you puts you down or is overly critical that's a bad sign. That's an environment that you don't want to be spending the rest of your life in. If two people work at hearing each other, it doesn't mean they can meet the other's needs. I mean, that's something that's excellent if someone can meet your needs, but it's not a given. But if somebody can hear what you're saying and understands mm. and makes an effort to try to be better for you or to meet those needs, then you have a relationship that's worthwhile. And certainly relationships get tested. I mean, I married 25 years. I got married at 36. I had plenty of failed relationships, my being a major part of those failures. You sort of know and sort of learn, okay, we're going through something where we're not feeling as close. And usually those periods change and you are close again. And that's the excellent part of having a long-term relationship is being able to sort of, you know, both be in it together and go through those kind of periods together, knowing that you have a partner. So while we're talking about you, okay, so you said that you (laughs) (laughs) struggled with this, you were picking people that weren't right for you, and you got out of it, and then you met your wife. There might be other stuff going on in between, but I guess like how did you start to choose differently? And then also when a rough patch came with your wife, how did you know like it wasn't because you chose wrong, it's just that it was a rough patch and that's normal? Yeah. First of all, I was ready to be with somebody whose disposition was a little bit different, not a depressive, but somebody whose emotional needs were less. That was unfamiliar to me, but I was willing to kind of, you know, stand in that space. And there were plenty of times where we fight, we we fight less. We're solid A-plus fighters, my wife and I. <laughs> and the fact that she's a good fighter actually is helpful to me because she doesn't wound easily. So I don't have to sort of be more preoccupied with her because she She's tough. For me, what allows me to do that is it doesn't touch on my old patterns of feeling that I have to be super protective or feeling that I have to be more of a fixer. Those kinds of feelings for me left me feeling kind of more suffocated, not able to express my own anger or my own feelings if it would be, I thought it would be hurtful. That didn't exist in this particular relationship. It didn't touch on the things that made me feel that I had to get out of something. Moving forward was much easier for me under those conditions. 
Had you been married before? I had not been married before, no. I had been engaged before. Okay. So what do you think it was from like your childhood that was drawing you to people like this? And then, yeah, I guess like that's the first question. So, you know, I had a wonderful, charismatic, a very depressed, moody mother. Mm. I had a very attuned and empathic disposition when I was born. And I was counseling her at four and five years old. And that seemed very normal to me. Unfortunately, Mm. it had other repercussions as well. But that really was what it felt like for me to be close to somebody. Not all my friends, but for an intimate partnership, that's what it felt like. And so expressing my own needs felt like, first of all, that that wasn't going to be okay. I sort of anticipated that uh, the person wasn't going to be responsive to them. That was my own style. You know, I learned at an early age. It made me a very good therapist. I mean, I was a psychology major and I learned how to be very attuned and empathic with other people, but it didn't help my personal life very much. I guess my question, though, for you is like, how do you know when it's your own thing, like in your case, right, stating your needs more versus it's the other person that's just not a good fit for you? Like, how do you make that distinction? How did I know? I mean, I was probably not the perfect person to give an example because I had been in therapy. I was training to be a therapist. I was reading. And you know, and I noticed that these patterns were similar. I wanted a longer sustaining relationship. I sort of realized at some point I'm going to have to move towards what's less familiar and more uncomfortable Mm. and see what that's like. In one of the Seinfeld episodes, George Costanza, he does everything the opposite (laughs) to see if things would change. And instead of, you know, ordering his tuna sandwich on whole wheat toast, he orders chicken salad on rye. (laughs) And all of a sudden, everything starts going well for him. (laughs) And it's sort of the same thing in some ways. It's noticing and becoming aware and then making choices that might be unfamiliar and uncomfortable, but you know are healthy. So what I'm hearing you say, and to answer Julie's question, it sounds like you can't really separate is it me or is it them. It's like both. By you wanting to be with this type of person, there is something in you that you need to work through. Yes. And then by that person being the person who they are, Mm -hmm. that's just innately who they are. Exactly. We often talk about childhood trauma I don't think, Julie, you and I have ever explored this deeply just between the two of us because I've been so curious. What is it from my childhood that's contributing to my current relationships? And when you said first language, Mark, I think that Mm -hmm. rang truer for me than saying trauma because trauma just sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds abusive. Yeah. I don't think it's... I was never abused as a child that I can remember, but the first language I learned from my parents is that words of affirmation are something that you earn, Mm -hmm. that they don't just freely give out. So the people I dated as an adult were not very good with words of affirmation. And if they were to tell me something along the lines of, you're beautiful, I'm proud of you, I'm so glad we're together, I would freak out. I'd be like, oh my God, (laughs) haven't heard something like that. I don't know if I earned it or not. Yeah, haven't earned it, right. And the people who gave me words of affirmation from the very beginning, I was so scared. I didn't think they were authentic. Mm. I didn't think they were being honest to me. And so I run away. I say, I don't want to be with someone who's being inauthentic with me. So that's the first language that I can really pinpoint from my childhood. What about you, Julie? Have you thought about this much? 
You know, I feel like I haven't, to be honest. Like, I think I need to think about it more of where it's come from. I mean, there's definitely aspects of my childhood, but I think some of it too was, it wasn't just like my upbringing with parents, but it was just like my entire dating life growing up. Like I remember in high school, in elementary school or middle school, maybe that's a better than elementary. <laughs> like I was never like focused on relationships. That wasn't something that like, I never viewed myself as like the girl that got the guy. So I think it was always like something that I had to like mm. go for and like fight for. So maybe I tried to like win mm. with people more than if like I had felt that naturally at the beginning. I don't know. I don't know. It's like hard to fully make those ties, I think. That's interesting. Yeah, that is. To the point that you were making, I don't like the word trauma either. There's plenty of trauma, but it's really a language. It can be based on different kinds of attunement or misattunement, but it doesn't have to be outright trauma. Yeah. It's just a kind of way we learn to connect and to attach I guess the like what is still like hard for me to grasp is that there's just so many things that like need to line up in a relationship, right? <laughs> like how do you know like which ones oh are God. the things that really aren't serving you versus let's say, I don't know, your example, right? You were saying that like people that had a lot of emotional needs, for instance. Like, yeah. how do you know that that's like the one thing that really just does not work for you versus understanding that like, no one's perfect. There's always going to be something. Like, how do you yeah. make that distinction? For me, I mean, it's not that I'm fine with sort of, you know, being dependent or having emotional needs, just want to say is, is okay with me. It's when a person is sort of more looking for just a lot of validation and doesn't really necessarily trust relationships so much and needs a lot of attention on themselves that I sort of have a aversive reaction to in relationship. How do you know if you have two people who are trying to make something work, that is a perfectly great sign. If you're with someone and your experience is preoccupation and disappointment and frustration. Forget about whether someone's late to a movie or, you know, their habits. Those should not be deal breakers. But if you're feeling disrespected or you're not feeling listened to or you're not feeling supported, and those are feelings that you're continuing to move towards and to have the strength to be able to notice why you're putting up with it and how to pull yourself out of it. It takes a lot of courage and awareness to do that for yourself. It yeah. does. What if you see that for a close friend who is just picking the wrong people and constantly putting him or herself in the same disappointing position? How do you help out this friend? You try to <laughs> say something. Unfortunately, these kinds of situations can be very frustrating for friends if it's the 90th relationship that's the same. Yeah. Friends begin to feel frustrated and begin to say, well, okay, there's nothing I can do. Often friends, they play the second fiddle and they can often not have as much contact with the person because they're so obsessed in the relationship. So friendships are often tested. But close friendships, you just have to sort of, you know, say how you feel, tell them that you're there for them, recommend, you know, you've been to a good therapist if they want to see a therapist, recommend a book. But it's like anything else, a person has to make that choice themselves. Let's hold that thought for a quick message. 
We are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we've talked a lot about how do you, like, stop finding the wrong people. Yeah. But (laughs) how do you know, like, the right qualities, right? Like, how do you know when you found the right person? So, I mean, I coined a phrase that I like, although it's not popular, which is character over chemistry. Mm. Personally, I think it takes about six months to find out who you're dating. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you can also grow close to somebody in six months. So there is a dilemma. In about six months, you begin to kind of appreciate somebody's character. You see things in them. How do they treat people in a restaurant? How do they treat their parents? How do they treat their friends? What kind of decisions do you see them making? Character is something that I think has got to be valued more in dating and valued more than chemistry. I know you need some chemistry. Mm-hmm. But one doesn't need so much chemistry if they see in the other something that they admire and care about. So I feel like one of the things I've heard before, and I'm curious on your take on this, is that we choose partners because we're trying to heal our own wounds. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing for you earlier, though, is sometimes that's just our own wounds aren't really who we actually need to be with because it's just the way we know love and we know relationships. Yeah. What is your take on that? And like, how do you understand the difference between this person just not a good fit for you versus like, this is stuff you need to work through? Mm. I mean, I think the apple doesn't fall far from the tree often. Relationships are the best place for us to work out our stuff. They're the best opportunity with the right person. Our partners become people from our past. Relationships bring up unformulated experiences and sort of dissociated experiences, longings, all sorts of things. And when you have a kind of a good enough partner, it's somebody who you can work through those things with. No one's going to make you fully whole, right? You have to own your own self and your strengths and weaknesses. Mm. I often hear people after a breakup say, maybe there was something I could have done if I had just done the right thing. Yeah. If, you know, if I had gotten it right, then the love would be coming. I can't stop thinking about them. Yes. I know they weren't really good for me, but I just need them to understand. I need one more chance. And that is a resistance to mourning. Like this isn't working. You have to be able to tolerate 
to mourn something. The ability to mourn and to move on is something one wants to learn how to do and to be able to say yes to things that are good and to be able to leave, you know, a person with a secure attachment can leave a relationship that's not good for them. A person with a more insecure attachment has a very hard time leaving even if the person is not good for them. Mark, specifically for you, looking back in hindsight, 40 years ago when you were dating, what are some things that you would have done differently? I would have dated people for less periods of time oh. instead of, uh, I was sort of more of a, a serial monogamist, like three or four year long-term relationships, but I think I was in them for much too long. I would have talked to my mother and I would have tried to have her go to therapy instead <laughs> of me be her therapist. <laughs> I would have dated and explored different kinds of people that brought out different parts of me to learn from the dating, to learn what's really good for me that I like, that I don't like, to be with people outside what was familiar to me. We did an interesting episode a while ago about, it was with a doctor that talked about positive intelligence. And one of his things that he talked about is like how we sabotage our own relationships mm. and what attracts you to someone ends up being the thing that bothers you the most about them. So like, for instance, you have someone that you think is like chill, laid back, and that's like what gravitates you to them. But later on, it annoys you that they can never make a decision. They never want to initiate anything. How do you decide that like them not making plans is enough for you to say like this person isn't good for me? Some people know early on what they like and what they don't. But some people, it could be that they're anxious around people who are more independent and who have their own point of view. And they might be frightened to be with somebody who doesn't need them to be in control and to be the one making plans. So they're attracted to somebody who's chill and allows the other to make all the plans. But six months into it or a year into it, they're feeling resentful and bored. Now, they chose to be with this person. Mm -hmm. What they didn't take into account is once they had that sense of security and the person now likes them and loves them, now they're thinking, well, I have other parts of myself that are being neglected here. I'd rather be with somebody who has opinions, has a point of view, who likes things that I might not like to contribute to my life. That's the challenge of this kind of thing. There's something called, it's an achievement in psychoanalysis called the depressive position. Mm. But the depressive position is the ability to live with the good and the bad. You have to be able to know that somebody is not bringing you everything. Again, there are things that bother us about our partners. I mean, we're two people. You're going to have things that bother each other. Nobody makes one whole. But a person has to be able to live in that depressive position. You have to know that my partner is not supposed to make me whole. And the other is supposed to know that my partner is not supposed to make me whole. There are a lot of people out in the world who are looking for someone to make them whole. Since nobody can do that, you begin, the minute you realize this person's just a person and it's just a human being who I'm with and they're not going to make all of my wishes come true, there are people who then begin to pull away from that reality and that person's really not ready to be in a relationship. You have to have matured to a place where you know the person you're with, you love them, but you have to be able to live with yourself. It's an unfortunate name, though. Depressive yeah. position. It is. <laughs> I'm not sure if I like that. 
It comes from early infant research in which the infant learns that the person who's feeding them is the same person who is sometimes not available. Uh. They have to tolerate that it's not all good or all bad. They learn to tolerate that in between that the person who I'm dependent on is good enough, but I don't have control over. We don't want anybody thinking that this is the same thing as settling. I can already hear yeah. some of our listeners be oh. like, okay, my future is just to settle for good enough. It doesn't sound that exciting or hopeful. And I do think a lot of people in relationships or when they're dating, they're dating someone good enough. They think, could there be someone better? Right. Yeah. Could there, you know, better compatibility out there. Am I just wasting my time with this person? But what I'm hearing you say is if you spend more energy and effort working on making this relationship work because both people are open to it. It is worth that effort to also know that you will be disappointed from time to time. And that is okay. In the next relationship, you're also going to find areas of disappointment. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I mean, look, it's good to be compatible. But if you're able to express your needs and the other person is able to hear you and work on things and the other person can do the same, what you have is you take the risk of being known and you have a deepening connection with that person. That deepening connection is much better than good enough. I don't mean that you should settle for something that's good enough. You should settle for something where you have a partner who has your back mm. and who's there for you and who stands behind you with your own good and bad, with the things that are good about you and the things that are not so good about you. So what advice would you have for someone right now that feels like they kind of like have a type that they keep gravitating to that they know is not right for them? Uh -huh. How do they get out of their own way? They could pick up a, for $15 a copy of my book, <laughs> How to Change Your GPS. They can Google any kinds of attachment theories or they can talk to friends. I mean, one of the positives about, if there is any, about COVID is that mental health has become a topic that's totally okay to talk about. You don't have to go very far to, like your podcast, I'm sure, talks about this kind of stuff. The reason I am interested in this topic and the reason I work with patients and wrote this book is to introduce people to this idea so that they can learn about themselves and begin to make choices, not just to have reflexes. Yep. And so I would encourage people to do five minutes of mindful meditation, to begin to sit with themselves, to begin to take time just to go inward, try to figure out, does this make me happy? Yes, it might be familiar, but does it make me feel safe? And does it make me feel secure? Those are two things that are necessary in order to blossom. Well, I mean, this conversation has been so insightful. I think my biggest <laughs> takeaway in general is understanding yourself. Like we talked about this many of times, but like understanding where you come from, yes. how you were loved. I love the initial language that you had with love and how people showed you love. Yes, It's so important to understanding yourself. And I think from there, you can know your needs and then realize if the person that you're with is meeting them or not. And if you find yourself in this pattern of feeling like it's the wrong people, I mean, I think ultimately the choice does come down to you. And yes. I like this George Costanza <laughs> analogy is like, can you try different things, you know, uh -huh. see what 
else could work, like date like Go a scientist. In the direction. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm just learning that you only know what you know. And we've talked about this in previous episodes, but it's just so prominent in dating is that we only know what we know. So that means exactly. we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves for having the mm-hmm. wrong picker because we're only picking based on what we know from the past. Exactly. But every decision we make in dating also helps us learn to be better that next time when we're picking. Exactly. So if we're learning from our picking choices, then at least we're progressing forward, right, in our love lives. I like this level set of is this person good for me? Does this person make me feel safe? Mm-hmm. And does this relationship make me feel secure? These are very good questions to ask. And we always say dating is like one big social experiment. How can we really say the person we've picked is the right person? We won't know till we're on our deathbed looking back and saying, <laughs> yep, pick the right person. Uh-huh. I know people who've been in 20, 30 year long relationships and at the end go, eh, that was fun while it lasted, but you know, I'm ready for the the next person. So we don't have to focus too much on the picker. It's really on how we make an effort in a relationship to make it work and learn from those relationships. And connecting the dots of where we learned these patterns of behavior, I think it's also something that I've been really focused on. It's like, why am I (laughs) doing this? And why am I feeling this way? I think that the points you're making are absolutely nail it. And you know, if you do feel safe and secure, chances are you're going to take risks with that person and reveal yourself more. Chances are you got yourself something that at the end of your life you say, this was really good. Yeah. This was a good partner. Well, thank you, Mark. I know you kind of shared a bit about your book, but where can people find it if they want to read more? It's on Amazon and you just go to Reset Your Romantic GPS where you put my name in. It'll come up there. Thank you for that. If people want to find out more about you, where can they go? They can go to com. I have an Instagram, Romantic GPS. I'm happy to get back to people and guide them. If anyone's looking ever for therapy, you know, for therapists, I'm happy to be contacted. Great. Thank you, Mark, for your time. Thank you, guys. You got me talking about myself a lot. I think you guys are the therapists on this one. Yes. We are very nosy, but in a good way. (laughs) We want to know what makes Mark Scholes Scholes today. Well, we are so grateful for your time today and for all of our listeners. We are grateful for your time. Thank you so much for listening. For us to get guests as wonderful as Mark, your ratings and review really matter. So go on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, write something nice about what you learned from this podcast. We learn something every time. So I can only imagine how much you are learning along the way. So again, ratings and review matter a lot. And on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode. Stay Datable! The Datable Podcast is part of the Frolic Media Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at Datable Podcast and visit datablepodcast.com for access to all the episodes and our premium programs. Also, make sure to subscribe today if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform so you are the first to get all the latest episodes. And most importantly, Importantly, stay dateable. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. 
Shop now at Hero.co.